Let us open the Word of God to Revelation chapter 3, and I'll open it for you. Revelation chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, grant us this Spirit. We see and we hear But, O Lord, help our blindness and our deafness. We believe, but help thou our unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to address you about fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm using this method today not to be lighter in my presentation, but to help you comprehend more. This may be the most important subject I can preach about. This is the highest level of spiritual religion, sorely lacking today in most churches and in most Christians' lives. Martyrs knew it much better, as we just heard a few minutes ago. Just as you do, just as you know, just as you understand when you're in trouble. When you're in trouble, you will draw closer to God. You will draw nigh to Jesus Christ. You pray more. You read the Bible more. You confess your sins when you're in trouble and you're scared. You understand these things. We just want to do them today and to confess all our sins. We have before us today a conditional offer that is beyond the bare practical phase of salvation. It's the highest level of the practical phase of salvation. I'm not preaching mysticism to you today. I'm preaching today close friendship on an individual basis, one-on-one with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to address our first love of Christ because it was Revelation chapter 2 
where Jesus addressed the church at Ephesus about the loss of their first love. That's the only kind of love that is acceptable to the Lord Jesus Christ and for obvious reasons. He's the high king of heaven, the king of glory. He deserves all your love, your first love, your best love, your only love. He will reject you for losing your first love and he'll reject this church for losing its first love if we lose it as a church. You know first love, you know what it is, and you know how to do it because you would do it if you needed to win yourself a new spouse. For those of you that have been married, if you lost your spouse and you had to go back into the dating market to find yourself a replacement, you know exactly how to treat a person of the opposite sex to win them. You know what first love is. It is selfishness, laziness, and pride that keeps us from doing those first love things toward the one we're already living with. And it's selfishness, laziness, and pride that keeps us from loving the Lord Jesus Christ like we should. It is quite simple. Here's the formula of Revelation chapter 2 and verse 5. Remember, repent, and do the first works. If you want to restore first love, it is that simple. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember what it used to be like. That's what the word remember means. Remember what we used to have between us. Repent that you've let it slip from that and do the first works. You know first love with Christ. You do it if you're afraid enough. I want to make that point solidly to you. We want the preeminence of Jesus Christ in this church. The need is for a relationship with Him. It is not a religion that we're content with, and it's not a ritual that we practice here. We want to seek a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You will each meet Him very soon. We will stand in His presence and give an account of our lives, and it's going to happen soon. And He does not play. He is very serious about His relationship with men and women that He has saved. It is offensive. It is sinful for us to neglect His loving advances toward us that are offered in His words to the church of the Laodiceans. All, all our doctrine, all our practice should be subordinate to the Lord Jesus Christ. We want preeminently to have a church based on a person. And it's not the pastor. It's no one in the pew. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. And we want to keep Him preeminent. And we want to focus on Him. We want everything to serve Him and not Him to serve other things or to be subordinate to them. We will only learn Christian liberty when we get to Romans 14 in order to please the Lord Jesus Christ more perfectly. And I hope you're not disappointed today that I'm putting off for a week or two or three or as long as the Lord convicts me for us to refocus our attention on Him before we dive into all the foolish, foolish and childish, childish diversions that affect the people of God that all of them added together do not amount to the first step of a stairway to heaven. They're nothing. And you get all worked up about them. And I'm going to destroy your thoughts. I hate every single thought you have about everything in life except what is found in the Word of God. And we are going to bring it all in subordination to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I hope you understand and see very clearly exactly what I'm saying with these, with this paragraph. That these little things that give bit, that cause bitterness in people's hearts, that twist them away from the love of Christ are all ridiculous. If you mounted them together and put a match to them, they can't even light a candle. 
compared to the, the glory of the Lamb of God. I love Romans 14 because it's part of Holy Scripture, but I'm also wise enough to know that Romans 14, compared to Revelation 3.20, doesn't even measure. But it's all there. We're going to turn it all to love the Lord Jesus Christ. The church at Laodicea. There were seven churches of Asia. You had them given to you very briefly in Revelation chapter 1 last night, which you read in preparation. Jesus Christ addressed the senior pastor of the church as the angel. The senior pastor was ultimately responsible for the problems of that church and for the other seven churches. And if you read Revelation chapters 2 and 3, you'll see that the address is to the pastor, but then when there are specific sins or specific problems addressed, it will address with plural pronouns all the church members. And some of the church members were guilty, some of the church members were not. And in Revelation 3.20, it is addressed to any man. Any man. If any man... Hear my voice. Laodicea was in Asia Minor, what is now western Turkey. When the Bible speaks of Asia, it's speaking of a very small portion of the world. It is speaking of western Turkey. Paul wrote an epistle to the church at Laodicea. He mentions it in Colossians chapter 4. He had a great desire for their souls that he mentioned in Colossians chapter 2. Epaphras may have been a father or founder of that church because of what is said about him in Colossians chapter 4, when he was at that time part of the church at Colossae. The church at Laodicea, the church at Colossae, and the church at Hierapolis were all very close together in Asia Minor. Laodicea was a prosperous city. History tells us that. Now, if you've already listened and read last night, Revelation 3, 14 through 22, you know that there are scriptural implications that they were rich. But now, the Word of God is even more particular than that. What were they rich doing. They had black wool. Is their clothing mentioned in Revelation 3, 14 through 22? That they needed real clothing? They had a medical school there where they ground and produced and sold and distributed through the Roman Empire the Phrygian powder for ophthalmia. This was, this is all, this is well known about the city of Laodicea. Is there something about ISAV in Revelation 3, 14 through I wonder how the Holy Spirit knew that. I wonder why there are direct plays in the words of Revelation chapter 3 about the industries and the money-making businesses of Laodicea and how that they were insufficient compared to the ISAV and the clothing that he could provide and the rich gold that he could provide that was better than the gold of Laodicea. An earthquake destroyed those three cities in 65 A.D., but they rebuilt from their savings without any help from Rome. Here's the Roman Empire. Follow my drawing. Here's Spain over here. There's the boot of Italy. Here's Egypt. If you want to see where Jerusalem is, it's right there. This is Greece. The top half of Greece was known as Macedonia. The bottom half of Greece was Achaia. In Achaia, you had the church at Corinth. In Macedonia, you had the church of the Thessalonians and the church of the Philippians. And right here is the western part of Turkey, because all this is Turkey. Here's the western part of Turkey, and that's Asia. And there are the seven churches of Asia. Let's come in closer. We're looking now at western Turkey right here. And there are the seven churches of Asia, with the Isle of Patmos out there in the Aegean Sea, where our beloved brother John was exiled and banished. 
Here looking even closer, the Isle of Patmos, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, and around Laodicea were Colossae and Hierapolis, two of its sister cities. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, in the red writing in your Bibles, addresses this church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea was about 20 to 40 years old because it was began by the apostles and their immediate teachers that they had ordained. Our church is 33 years old this past June. Jesus inspected that candlestick, which is the representation of a church, along with the other six. And Jesus inspects our church in total, as well as each individual. The Lord Jesus Christ is here today. By His Spirit, He walks among His golden candlesticks, and He inspects our church, and He inspects each one of you. He holds me accountable to a degree for the spirituality of this church, and I'm preaching to you to clear my hands one more time. And I will continue to preach to you as long as God gives me breath that we are a church that pleases Him. But every man shall bear his own burden. If you do not hear what the Spirit saith to the churches today and make some changes in your life. He removes candlesticks. That is, he takes away the organic presence of God in a church and leaves it just an organization. The members hardly know the difference. Most of the members don't know the difference at all. But the Lord Jesus Christ is gone. And he cuts down fruitless trees. That's individual church members that do not love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's been very good to me. I'm responsible for the spirituality of this church. And I'm going to answer for my faithfulness or not in this crucial matter of how much we love the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's had some dealings with me in the last month. I may tell you about them, but not today. I love the Lord. And the Lord hath heard the voice of my supplication. And He's been very merciful to me. And everything that I'm about to tell you is absolutely true. First, because it's in the Bible. Second, because I've proved it is your pastor in front of you. Romans 14 is way down my radar. There's a matter far more important than Christian liberty. Let's go to it in Revelation 3 and verse 14. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, right. Jesus Christ addressed the pastor for each church. Pastors are God's ambassadors, declaring and doing His will. Pastors are responsible to lead churches well. And if any man defile the church of God or the body of Jesus Christ, him shall God destroy. First Corinthians 3, 5-17 describes Paul as a master builder and those ministers that follow him as other builders. But there is no foundation that can be laid than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus does not wait forever for churches or saints to repent. There's only a space of time, he told the pastor of the church at Thyatira, for its prophetess Jezebel, who was preaching and teaching them to commit spiritual adultery in that church. Do you have an ear today? Do you? Have an ear to hear what the Spirit says to us today. These things saith the Amen. This is in the red writing in your Bibles because these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church at Laodicea through its pastor. 
These things that I'm about to say to you, Jesus introduces his remarks to this church, and then calls himself the Amen, the faithful and true witness. Amen means, be it so really. Amen means, it is so in truth. Amen means, truly, verily. Jesus is the Amen. It is one of his many names or titles. He is the faithful and true witness, never misrepresenting anything. He only, always, forever, perfectly speaks truth, including what he's about to say to this church. His rebukes are perfectly right. His promises are perfectly true. And I love what's in Revelation 3, 14 through 22 with this introduction that I am the amen, that I am the faithful and true witness because he is going to say some rebukes that are very personal against this church and to each of us. And he's going to make a wonderful promise to that church and to each of us as well. And when he promises and when he rebukes, we may count on those words as being right and appropriate. He's called the beginning of the creation of God. Jesus is not the first creature God made when God created. Jesus is the Word of God who created all things. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. God created all things by Jesus the Word, according to Ephesians chapter 3 and Colossians 1. He is the beginning of creation in this sense. He's the origin and the source of all the creating. This head bishop of Laodicea and the head bishop of our church is the Creator God. Daniel already brought that out this morning from Psalm 121, the second verse, which made the heaven and the earth. The Creator of the heavens and the Creator of the earth and the God of heaven, the Creator of all things, wants us to think about Him as the Creator, as He does in Revelation 3.14, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who in His divine nature created all things, and was the beginning of creation. I know thy works. The faithful and true witness does not miss anything. He knows this church. He knows each member in it. He knows you. He knows you. He knows our works without confusion or debate or deceit as others. Others may look at you and be deceived by your public presentation of yourself. He's not deceived at all. Others may look at you and be confused by you appearing to be righteous one day, unrighteous the next. He's not confused at all. He knows whether you care for Him. He knows how much time and attention you give Him every day. He knows how much affection you have for Him. He knows what percentage of your heart is focused on Him. He knows what percentage of your conversation is about Him. He knows your works. I know thy works. All things are naked and opened under the eyes of Him with whom we have to do, Hebrews 4 tells us. If we do not correct our works, He's going to judge us now by chastening us, and He's going to judge us later when we give an account of our lives before Him. We can change today so that we have our spotless before Him in the practical righteousness that He will sanctify everything out of our control and in our ignorance. If we will walk in the light as He is in the light. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. The church at Laodicea was lukewarm, not cold or hot. Lukewarm is like room temperature, or a 100 degrees, between hot, which would be boiling like a cup of coffee that people enjoy drinking at a very hot level, or something cold, 
like an, like a drink poured over ice, which is at 40 degrees. Lukewarm's in between. Lukewarm is a temperature we despise in food or drink. You can make a person sick by having them drink lukewarm water. Some people will just get lukewarm water or a beverage in their mouths and have projectile vomiting just to get rid of that disgusting temperature in their mouths. And the Lord knows this. The Lord knows the natures of our physical bodies that He gave us. And so He describes this church as being neither cold nor hot. Lukewarm is a temperature we despise in love or zeal. We despise it in food or drink. Why'd the, why'd the food get so cold? Well, sitting out at room temperature in your house, it's not cold. It's just not hot. You expect a hot meal, or if you're looking for cold potato salad, you expect it to be cold. Who in here likes warm cottage cheese? Who in here likes cold turkey gravy? Certain things should be hot and certain things should be cold and lukewarm. We don't abide it. And when it comes to love or zeal, when your spouse is only lukewarm towards you, you know exactly the nature of lukewarm affection and you despise it. When you give someone an assignment, whether it's a child or an employee, and they go about it in a half-hearted, lukewarm manner, you despise that. You understand what lukewarm love and lukewarm zeal is. And the Lord understands it even better. Jesus, who has eyes as a flame of fire, sees all lukewarm saints. You cannot hide from Him. And I'm here as His ambassador. And I'm here as your shepherd. I'm here to warn you to change today. To run to the Lord Jesus Christ and repent of not loving Him like you should have and not being as zealous as you should be. They were neither lovers of Jesus Christ nor haters of Him. Thus, they were neither cold nor hot. They were not pagans entirely wrapped up in their pagan lives, and neither were they loving saints of the Lord Jesus like the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John. They were neither hot nor cold. I would, thou wert cold or hot. This is a very unusual sentence to some people. They cannot understand why Jesus would rather have you cold than lukewarm. But Jesus would rather have you cold than lukewarm. I would, Jesus is speaking, I would, I wish you were either cold or hot. I can't stand it when you're lukewarm. God and Jesus respect God-haters more than hypocrites. Hypocrites are those that make the claim, I'm a Christian. Hypocrites are those that say, I love Jesus. Hypocrites say, I appreciate Jesus dying on the cross. Hypocrites come to church and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. But then they don't live it. They don't really think it. They don't read His Word. They don't get on their knees and and pray to Him. They don't sing about Him. They don't talk about Him. And they make Him sick. Just like lukewarm does to you. Whether it's in food, drink, love, or affection. Elijah told Israel to pick either Baal or God, but to stop halting between two opinions. Do you remember that? This is, I would, you were either cold or hot. God told Israel to serve idols rather than to play with Him in Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 39. The perilous times have lovers of pleasures more than God. That's lukewarm. They have a form of godliness. They go to church. They claim to be Christians. They bring a Bible. Well, they don't even do that anymore to churches. 
But they're lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. These are lukewarm Christians, and it is the greatest temptation facing every single one of us. There is no middle ground to serve God and mammon. You can't serve them both. Jesus denies it. A friend of this world is the enemy of God. You cannot befriend the world without God being your enemy. Lukewarm religion is profane, very profane, because you're playing with God's grace. God has graciously saved you by the death of His Son. God has graciously regenerated you by the power of His Holy Spirit. God has graciously informed you by the preaching of His Word by beautiful feet. And then you want to play around in the world? It's profane. It's very profane. It's contrary to any, any thoughts that we can have about the value and the person of God and what He's done for us. Lukewarm religion is very dangerous because it deceives men. Lukewarm religion lulls the conscience to sleep that all is well. They think all is well because they have this form of religion, this form of godliness, but they don't have a relationship with the God of heaven nor His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so lukewarm religion is profane and dangerous because it lulls the conscience to sleep. You hate lukewarm people when it comes to their affection toward you or their performance of the assignments you give them. What of the Lord Jesus Christ? I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. You may hide hypocrisy from men. You're never going to hide it from the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to answer for every ounce of it, every inch of it, when you meet Him. And before you meet Him, you're going to answer for every ounce of it and every inch of it because He's going to chasten those that live hypocritically. Profession of commitment to Christ without performance is noxious. You can profess all you want. You can be baptized. You can say whatever you want. But if you don't perform, it's noxious in the eyes and nostrils of the Lord Jesus. These frauds, and I'm referring to hypocrites, profess that they know God, but they deny Him in works, according to Titus chapter 1. Jesus Christ trumps. That means He's more valuable, more important than the rest of any life in here. Anyone in here pulling together all the things that you do in your life, all the things that you think are of value, are nothing and less than nothing in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things of your life go into total oblivion. All the things of all our lives added together go into oblivion. And when you meet Him, everything you have done in life that you think accumulated to your praise will go into oblivion. Except true righteousness, true practical righteousness sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Ghost. But all the things that the world wants us to be distracted with will go into total oblivion because it's a relationship with Christ that exceeds it all. Jesus would say to Peter, Lovest thou me more than these? Who loves the Lord Jesus Christ the most? I will spew thee out of my mouth. I will spew thee out of my mouth. This is not a rude preacher speaking. Except the Lord Jesus Christ as a rude preacher. It's the words of Jesus Christ. That's what He thinks of you. That is what He thinks of everyone in here 
who gets up and goes to work and thinking you're doing something noble. Who hugs his children and think you're doing something noble. Who saves your money 10%, gives 10%, and thinks you're doing something noble. Who dresses up and comes on Sunday morning to church and thinks you're doing something noble. He's going to spew you out of his mouth. (laughs) Lukewarm water, I hate it. You make him sick. This is the word of the Lord to us. Saying it in any other way is to compromise the word of God. This is exactly what Jesus Christ wrote in the red writing in your King James Bibles, which we believe and trust. This is not a rude preacher. This is not me making up something. This is not me putting a slant on something in the Word of God. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I wish you were cold or hot. I cannot stand you lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Tepid water, which is lukewarm water, will make a person sick and induce vomiting. Jesus Christ had great zeal for God, and He expects great zeal from us. If you're not fully hot for the Lord Jesus Christ, you make Him sick. The Lord of glory, the one that we've heard about this morning, the one William Tyndale was cheerful about dying for, the one that Psalm 121 described, the one that we have read about, the one that you read about last night in Revelation chapter 1, that Lord Jesus Christ, why don't you love Him? Why are you wrapped up in the things of your life? Why isn't He the love of your life? He's going to spew you out of his mouth. He will spew you out. And he is not speaking metaphorically in the sense that this is not some vain threat. This is a promise that he will spew out those that claim to be his and do not love him with all their hearts, that do not love him with the first love, and that do not seek a personal relationship with him, but rather trust in their religion. They trust in their doctrine. They trust in their scriptural practice. They trust in their success professionally. They trust in their financial accumulated accumulated wealth. But they don't love the Lord Jesus Christ. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods. That certainly applied to the city of Laodicea and the church there. I love inspired ambiguity at times. And what that means is there's more than one sense that we can draw out about the rich, the richness or the professed richness of the church at Laodicea in order for you to be convicted where it applies. First, Laodicea was a rich city in earthly wealth, and thus it had rich carnal Christians in it who didn't have a relationship with Christ, but they sure were successful professionally and financially. These are the words of what I like to call the successful Christian businessman. This should never be your goal to be a successful Christian businessman. If this is your goal, you are in the church at Laodicea and Jesus is going to spew you out of His mouth. If you want to please the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are going to be a successful Christian. You are going to be a Christ follower. You are going to be willing to say, I give half my goods to feed the poor. You will do anything to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You will love Him with the first love. If the Lord blesses your business, so be it. But the man who desires to be wealthy, the man who desires and plans to be a successful Christian businessman, whether it be a doctor, pharmacist, accountant, CPA, or chemist, or anything else, you fail. You want to aim for being a successful Christian, a lover of Christ. Let him add to or not add to your business efforts. 
a person assuming heaven, thinking they're going to heaven, there's a, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, as they sang in the church at Laodicea. That's assuming heaven. And they're worldly rich. It leads to haughtiness. And God can't stand haughtiness. While professional success is good, and we're thankful for it when the Lord blesses us professionally, it's very deceitful. The assumption that a man makes is, God's blessing me, when in fact, He's giving you a temptation to see if you can choose Him, the true riches, over the false and deceitful riches of this world. It was when Israel waxed fat that they lost their interest in God. When Israel waxed lean, that is, they were in hard times and being persecuted, guess what they did? They turned unto the Lord. Just like you do, whenever you're scared for your life with some little rinky-dink health problem, we all go run into the Lord. He needs to deliver us again. We should be running to Him in health more than we're running to Him in sickness. When we've got all the strength and vigor of health, we should be running to Him. We admire the work ethic of our young people, but it's actually nothing in comparison to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Second, that was dealing with rich carnal Christians. There's a second error that can be made. There's a false confidence found even in true religion. It's a false confidence. Heaven, salvation is what I mean by heaven, truth, doctrinal truth, hard preaching can deceive men. The church at Laodicea was only a few years removed from having apostles found it and provide for it in sound doctrine, and it can be deceiving. Such church members think themselves rich spiritually without any needs. They think they're all covered because they have proper doctrine. They have proper practice. They have a strict church. They have the King James Bible. But those things do not replace a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you think you are saved does not mean anything. It doesn't matter if you think you're saved. All that matters is, does God know you're saved? When you get to heaven, He doesn't care what you think about salvation. Many are going to call upon Him in that day. Lord! Lord! And He will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Well, I'm not a big sinner. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ every day of your life, you're the biggest sinner on this planet. It doesn't matter if you haven't murdered anyone. It doesn't matter if you haven't committed adultery. Why don't you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Why isn't He a great part of your conversation? Why aren't you praying to Him? Why aren't you reading His Word? Why aren't you singing about Him? Those should be the loves of our life. You must work out your salvation. Philippians chapter 2 says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what the Bible teaches. Of course it's not taught in churches anymore. Who wants to go to church and hear these words? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. One second after you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be very afraid and trembling if you're not living a righteous life. When I read Revelation chapter 1, what happened when John, who for three and a half years was a personal and close friend of Jesus Christ, and who laid on his bosom when they ate supper, what happened to him? What did he do? He fell at his feet as dead. The devil knows more correct doctrine than your pastor. 
You all understand that? Correct doctrine doesn't, is not, is not what we're aiming for as the preeminent goal of this church. Self-righteousness that all is well with you is a damning lie. You have to prove your calling and make your election and calling sure, according to 2 Peter chapter 1. And have need of nothing. This church was saying, I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. I have need of nothing. Now they might have not have said the words verbally. They might not have written the words in the church bulletin. But their attitude was one of confidence. I go to church. I know our church teaches the truth. I know it practices the truth. It has the King James Bible. We have hard preaching and a day of milk toast preaching. I'm doing well in school. I have a great career plan before me. I'm going to get a house. I have a house. I'm going to get a wife. I have a wife. I'm going to get children. I have children. Whatever the case might be, everything's looking good. I feel good. My life's in good shape. All is well. And have need of nothing? The Lord's got an opinion. When you think that you're everything, when you think that you are self-sufficient, when you think that you've accomplished something, He has something to say to you in just a moment. Self-righteousness deceives you to think that all is well. Whether you say the words or not, you think you're self-sufficient. Whether you say the words or not, you think you're fine, just as you are. You're self-sufficient. Carnal blessing of success in the world or religious blessing of being in a church of the truth are not enough. There are things much greater, much greater, and Jesus will demand them in your life. He will not accept you being content with things as they are. So here's what he says. And knowest not, while you say that you're rich, while you say that you're increased with goods, and you don't have need of anything, this is what Jesus says to you. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. These are not the words of a rude preacher. These are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' opinion of a successful Christian businessman. This is Jesus' opinion of having correct doctrine and correct practice alone without a relationship with Him, without coming down from that sycamore tree and hurriedly going to a house to prepare a meal to have with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is exactly these words up here. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, You don't know it, but that's what Jesus Christ thinks about you. And this is exactly how you will be and how you will feel in the great day of judgment when you're examined under the all-seeing eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we today we can repent. Today we can cast away our sins. Today we can repudiate the distractions that keep us from loving the Lord Jesus like we should. How can it say that they don't know it? Look up here in the verse. And knowest not... How can they not know it? Because they think that material blessings or religious blessings tell them that God is happy with their lives or that they're doing okay. But that is a lie. Verse 18. I counsel thee. I counsel thee. It's in the red writing in your Bibles. Who is trying to give you advice here? Jesus, the Son of God. Do you want some counsel? You're in a church and you're content. You have everything going well in your life. You're content. I counsel thee. His name is wonderful. His name is counselor. 
He's the mighty God in Isaiah 9 and verse 6. Is He the Amen to you? Is He the faithful and true witness? That means everything He says is true. His indictment of your life is true. And the counsel that He's about to give you is true. This is the only perfectly true counsel you'll ever get in life. Perfectly true counsel from the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. Forget E.F. Hutton. When Jesus speaks, listen very well. And what is His counsel? To buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. You think you're rich in your carnal possessions? You think you're rich in your church doctrine or practice? You think you're rich in your self-righteousness? Why don't you buy some real gold from me? You think you're rich? Jesus advised real wealth like perfected faith, gold tried in the fire. Jesus advised real riches like divine grace in your heart. Jesus advised real wealth like a heavenly perspective of life. Here's a man full of faith. Here's a man with a great divine work of grace in his heart. Here's a man that is thinking of heaven all the time. Everything is directed heavenward. Everything is directed for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is directed for the glory of God. Everything is directed for His service. That's real riches. That's real gold. Rather than trusting in your carnal blessings, your job, your house, your cars, your family, your children, or anything like that, none of that matters in comparison to loving Jesus Christ. We must buy this gold of Him. We must buy it. He's the only one that can sell it to us. But it's free. In Isaiah chapter 55, the Lord speaks so plainly to us and says for us to come and buy food and drink without money. We don't need money. We just need to come and He'll supply us with wine and with milk that will satisfy our souls. And that's spiritual wine and spiritual milk. And white raiment. What else do we need along with gold? White raiment that thou mayest be clothed. And that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayst see. We had gold mentioned. Now we have raiment mentioned. They took too much confidence in the black wool that they made from a species of sheep that had black wool and that they sent through the Roman Empire. And here the Lord addresses them subtly through one of their main industries that they were naked as a church. They were naked as Christians. They were naked as saints. And anoint thine eyes with eye salve. They had a medical school there. For ophthalmia. And the Lord here says, I've got eye salve that you need that's far more important than the powder of Phrygia. We need the white linen of His righteousness, not rich suits. I don't care what wool it's made from. Without His righteousness and living a true and honest life in His righteousness, we're naked. In the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're naked. Without His presence by the Holy Spirit, you cannot see anything that counts. All you see is the world. For those of you that see the things around you and you're moved by them, you are blind. You are totally blind. The things that are of value cannot be seen with the natural eye. The things that are of value are eternal and spiritual and they're seen by the eye of faith. Everything that you can see, cars, girls, guys, houses, jobs, salaries, bank accounts, anything you can see is worthless. It's temporary. It's all going to be burned up with fervent heat. What can't be seen, heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, the angels of God, the spirits of just men made perfect, 
the Holy Spirit of God. He'll give us eyes seven and we'll be able to see. They thought they were helping people and they were rich from being able to help people see. They were blind and naked and poor and wretched. Even elect persons guaranteed heaven by being chosen by God before the foundation of the world can be wretched. But I'll tell you, if you're wretched like this description, you have no evidence you're one of God's elect. And you should be making your calling and election sure by adding to your faith, virtue, knowledge, patience, godliness, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity. As Second Peter chapter 1 teaches, those eight things are the practical righteousness of a godly life. While you think you have no needs, true saints know better. Do you know better? What is the Lord going to have to do to help you know better? The Lord, the Lord did something to me to help me know better. You know I believe He is altogether lovely. You know I believe that knowing God and that long series was a great pleasure to me. But there's more. There's more. It's not just knowing doctrine and making outlines. It's coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ and what's He going to have to do to you? What's He going to have to take away from you? What's He going to have to frighten you with? What's He going to have to do to get your attention? If you're one of His, He will get your attention. You have heard me say in a rare moment, if trials and tribulations are what it takes to get me on my knees and closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, then God in mercy, bring it on. Do you believe that? When He brings it on, He can bring it on. He can haul a Manasseh 500 miles away and put him in a dungeon in Babylon. But oh, to be hauled away and to be whipped with thorns and to be put in a dungeon in Babylon, if there, I could repent and be humbled with great humility. Is it worth it? But listen, the Lord has sent you a messenger today. And it's the messenger of Revelation 3, 14 through 22. Why wait until He puts you in a dungeon in Babylon? Why not repent today? Why not change some things in your life today and make the Lord Jesus Christ more important? As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. The world doesn't want this Jesus. You know, Joel Osteen's going to preach tonight to 45,000 today to 45,000 in Houston and to millions more around the world that your best life now and it has nothing to do with Jesus Christ. He is not going to preach Jesus Christ. He is barely going to mention His name if He even mentions His name. Because they don't want to hear about a Jesus that rebukes and chastens. Joel is not going to rebuke anyone today. Joel never rebukes anyone. Joel is not going to chasten anyone today even though he claims to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm using him as an example because he is considered the nation's pastor at this time. But the Lord Jesus Christ said in the red writing, as many as I love, there are no exceptions. I rebuke and chasten. God does not love bastards. That is the word from the King James Bible, as it says in Hebrews 12. He doesn't love them, but as many as he does love, he chastens or he disciplines them, appropriately to turn them back to His Son, the Lord Jesus. And today He's rebuking us. As many as I love, I rebuke. And He's rebuking us to turn 
to Jesus Christ more perfectly, more passionately, more fervently, more dedicatedly, more loyally. God does chasten all His children and so does Jesus Christ. Jesus rebuked Laodicea and He's rebuking you today. Jesus chastened Laodicea and we can be sure He's going to chasten us as well. Be zealous therefore and repent. They weren't zealous. They were lukewarm. They had the sins of self-righteousness. They had the sins of sufficiency. They had the sins of thinking all was well though they didn't have a loving, passionate, fervent, fire, hot relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ where they delighted and rejoiced in Him and He was overwhelmingly the love of their lives. He was overwhelmingly the goal of their lives. This is what we each of us need. And all of it's going to be brought to bear in the second service of exactly what is meant by what I'm saying to you. But this church was lukewarm. Jesus would have had them either cold or hot. What is the response to avoid His spewing? What is the response to avoid His chastening? Zeal is the opposite of being lukewarm. Zeal is red-hot fervency. Zeal is to run to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith in your heart and mind and to call upon Him, Lord Jesus, save me! Not to heaven. From your lukewarm state, from thinking you're rich, increased with goods and have need of nothing, Lord Jesus, come in and sup with me. Lord Jesus, Come and eat with me like you did Zacchaeus. Lord Jesus, I want you to be the most important in my life. Much more to follow in a moment after our break. Zeal's not an option. It's not an option for exceptional Christians. It's a duty. It's commanded right here. Repentance is the only way to clear your lukewarm guilt. If you've been lukewarm, then you want to be repenting. You ought to repent as seriously as if you're a serial killer. You ought to repent as seriously as if you're a serial adulterer. You ought to repent for not loving the Lord Jesus Christ, the high King of heaven, the King of glory, for He deserves all your love and all your life. Repentance can clear your bad conduct. But there's more to come after this verse. This verse tells us how to get rid of everything that was listed by the Son of God in verses 14 through 18. This verse tells us to repent. This verse tells us to repent zealously. The next verse, verse 20, which we're going to look at in a few minutes, is going to tell us what to do positively. This is to get rid of all those things He said about us. The lukewarmness, the richness that's not rich, the seeing eyes that don't see, the clothing that doesn't cover, May God bless us to repent and to be zealous. Amen. Amen.